Hello, and welcome to Star Wars Sleepover, a laid-back exploration of the captivating and sometimes ridiculous galaxy far, far away. I'm Europa Tokani, and I am joined by my co-host. Hi, I'm Loya Rowan, and today we're going to be talking about Rose Tico, the casting of the first woman of color to play a leading role in a Star Wars film, and the racist and misogynistic attacks that Kelly Marie Tran faced. Let's do this. Well, it is time now for Cantina Corner, and I think we need Cantina Corner tonight. So <laughs> every episode, Loy and I have each been choosing a Star Wars-themed cocktail to enjoy during our sleepover. And I had a plan for tonight that did not work out, so I will be reserving that cocktail probably for our last episode of the season, which is coming up fast. So... I'll have more on that later, but it uh, involves some fairly obscure ingredients that were not easy for me to procure. So (laughs) I (laughs) quickly changed tracks and actually made something with ingredients that I already had on hand. So it it worked out. I did substitute one ingredient, which, you know, is kind of a common occurrence (laughs) for us. But I decided to make a copycat version of the Yub Nub, which is a cocktail available at Ogus Cantina in Galaxy's Edge. I have not tried this cocktail at Galaxy's Edge, so I don't know how good of an approximation it is, but it's basically a tiki drink. So it includes Sailor Jerry's spiced rum. It's supposed to include passion fruit syrup. However, I did not have that. I did have, and I'm going to have to look up how to pronounce this because it, like, throws me off every time. Uh, Orzat, Orzat syrup is commonly used in tiki drinks as well, but it's like an almond syrup. So definitely not passion fruit, but at least tiki. And then also lime juice and Malibu, as well as a few dashes of Angostura bitters. So I'm actually excited about this because <laughs> I, I bought that syrup so I could make tiki drinks and I'm drinking out of my Jawa tiki mug again, which is always exciting and fun. So I love that mug. I'm going to try it. It's actually really good. Nice. It's probably not super accurate as I just said, but it's good. Oh my gosh. I haven't had Malibu in so long. <laughs> I actually have Malibu because back pre-pandemic, we had some people over for a game night and my sister came over and she texted me earlier in the day and was like, we're getting stuff to bring to your house. Do you want to try and recreate the blue milk, the alcoholic blue milk, Galaxy's Edge? And I was like, yeah, sure. So (laughs) they bought all these like, again, obscure things. Like they bought like a fresh passion fruit, I think. Oh, and like a so dragon cool. fruit and I I forget like what else, but one of the things that they bought and brought over for the blue milk was Malibu. So I used up like almost the rest of the Malibu that we've had since nice. this. Yeah, so I made a crate 
by Molly, um, who's on Instagram at Molly G and on Twitter at Darth Molly. And it is basically a pomegranate margarita with extra salt. And I did, I put a lot of salt on it. So I'm going to try it. Oh, yeah. That is amazing. Also, in the picture, there are <laughs> Hans Dice, which is kind of an ongoing joke between me and Europa. And sadly, I did not get the dice in time for this drink. Otherwise, I would totally be giving them to you afterwards because I don't need dice around. Especially those dice. <laughs> but, so I should explain a little bit of background yes, on this. Mm-hmm. So I am on Twitter. I have my own personal account that I really only do Star Wars things on. But it's not the podcast account. And I follow a bunch of other people in the Star Wars fandom. And Molly is somebody that I follow. And she does... Star Wars related drawings that are always really fun. She has like a lunchtime quick drawing that she does. And she takes requests from people to draw Kylo Ren as various food products or like just on top of food products. And it is extremely delightful. But she also drew these cocktails based on The Last Jedi. And I was actually going to make another one of them for this episode, but I'll, I'll do it soon. And she posted them to her Twitter and Instagram. And I was like, oh, my God, we have to make these. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to her and asked her if we could make them for the podcast. And she was like, oh, yeah, I'd I'd love to see pictures. So sweet. Shout out to her. We were excited to make the cocktails. And she's just a, a great person to follow. And also, I should mention, too, she tagged Ryan Johnson in her drawings of these Last Jedi cocktails, and he responded with a heart eyes emoji. So, oh my I gosh. mean, like, what, what more could you ever ask for, honestly? Agreed. All right. Well, it sounds like we both have some good drinks to get us through this topic. So, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> So now it's time for the mouse droid segment. And Europa and I are rewatching The Mandalorian in anticipation for season two coming out on October 30th. And I have some thoughts. I <laughs> They're not my thoughts. <laughs> not my original thoughts. Let me rephrase. So I was talking about this with a group of former colleagues. And one of them pointed out like how The Mandalorian is caring for the child like nitty-gritty stuff like is he changing diapers who's feeding him what is he eating and i'm like oh he forages for frogs and (laughs) that's true he's he's proven he can feed himself yeah yeah but he probably does i mean yeah i'm assuming he's eating other food but i guess that's like yeah he got that broth, you know, and yeah. I, literally I was grocery shopping tonight and I saw bone broth and I was like, why does bone broth now make me think of Baby Yoda? <laughs> so cute. So I'm enjoying that aspect. Um, she also made the point that there's no female characters, like primary female characters. Granted, she only got like two episodes in, but that point's pretty valid. It was something I hadn't noticed. Yeah, I have to say... 
I enjoyed The Mandalorian well enough when I watched it the first time, mm-hmm. but it wasn't my favorite. And I know people just like went nuts for it and thought it was like the best Star Wars thing and were just so into it. And I wasn't there. I am really enjoying rewatching it because I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I'm appreciating it more for whatever mm-hmm. reason. And like we, we've been discussing, I don't, it's probably just because 2020 is like so horrific but just being able to watch baby yoda is just like soothing and we should also say these episodes are going to be behind the times like we're releasing them after recording so we won't be up to date but the trailer for season two came out very recently and even just like seeing baby yoda again in that trailer it's like we need baby yoda yeah I agree. And I do feel like I, w- I was definitely more into it, I think, watching it the first time. And I love the dialogue, and I'm excited to, like, continue watching it. There really aren't that many characters in general. Like, yeah. you know, in the first few episodes, it's pretty much, what, four, five, if you count the armor, who is female. So I do feel like that's kind of... A justification, partial justification. So there's that. But I mean, also I feel like the first time through, I was kind of getting to know Din, and I didn't really know how things were going to play out. Like mm-hmm. he returned Baby Yoda at one point. You didn't know exactly what was going to happen, and you didn't I was know so if, if you could really like mm-hmm. tr- trust him. I guess. But now having watched the whole first season, like I feel like I just have all this warmth and like all these like warm feelings towards him and baby Yoda and like their relationship. Yeah. You're actually really right. Cause I remember like I was ambivalent and I was just so in, dis- in such disbelief that he left him and I was like, no, this is not okay. And then he comes back and I'm like, okay. So like without that kind of like brief period of anger, this is an easier yeah. watch in that respect. Because we know now how their relationship has actually developed. So yeah. I think it's now possible to look at them and know that and just be like, oh, it's so cute. And it's just like so nice that they're like taking care of one another. Yeah. Well, that being said, when he first like tries to leave him and tells him to stay like he's a dog, I'm like, mm. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll continue watching it. And then... I'm sure we'll have more to talk about later. I've not made any progress on Clone Wars. Nor have I, but I am on vacation this upcoming week. So I'm obviously like not going anywhere. And one of my (laughs) priorities for vacation is to finish watching Clone Wars. Yes. It's a good priority. So we won't talk too much about the trailer because I'm sure everyone will see it and we're not really into speculating, but getting the season two trailer for The Mandalorian was exciting. And I really appreciate that it didn't show too much and that a lot of things are still a mystery. So I am really excited for that season to start. Yes. I also really appreciated, oddly, the ship. I feel like sea boats are not really. <laughs> That's it. Like. I know you're not really like on Twitter, but <laughs> I have to tell you 
people were so into the boat. Like, yeah. Like, oh my god, a boat. Like, yes. that's all anyone talked about was the fact that there was a boat. Yeah. I was I was trying to think if I've ever seen a boat in anything else. And I'm like, well, there was that, like, submersible in um, The Phantom Menace to go visit the Gungans. But that's not a boat. Like, that's submersible. And so I was I was weirdly charmed by it. But apparently that's a trend. <laughs> Every time I think something's unique, it's not. But yeah, I'm into the boat. I'm into the boat. I I was having a bad day yesterday, but there was one good thing. And I just subscribed to a zine, mm-hmm. which like I honestly have always wanted to subscribe to a zine because I was a child of the 90s and hearing about people making zines, distributing them always seemed like this really cool secret club. And I don't know. I just thought it was like what cool people did. I... <laughs> Recently started following on Instagram the account Sacred Something by Kara, which is with a K, and she makes a Star Wars fanzine. Hmm. And she actually just joined the Galactic Vampire Facebook group, which I've talked about on this podcast before, which is a great group to be a part of. And I had actually like seen mentions of it before. And I finally decided that I was going to subscribe. So I subscribed for 2020, which like we're almost at the end of now. But (laughs) I subscribed and got all the back issues. And then I'll be getting the October, November and December issues. And so I got all the back issues yesterday. And I (laughs) had my last day of work before vacation today. And honestly, like didn't have much to do and I'm working from home so I spent some of the day reading through some of them and it was just so fun and so enjoyable and it's just cool like I know obviously everyone's on social media and people connect that way and discuss things but it is really nice to have something tangible and Kara puts together like all of these collages and her own thoughts and other people's thoughts that she collects and it's awesome. So I don't know. Like I <laughs> was not around in the early days of the Star Wars fandom because I wasn't born. But I imagine that's like a little piece of what it was like to get these in the mail. So that that's has so been awesome. something really awesome. So yeah. I just wanted to give Kara a little bit of a plug. And if she for <laughs> some reason listens to this, I'm really enjoying the zine. In my initial plan for this episode, like I, when I was preparing for this and rewatching The Last Jedi, I had kind of a structure going on where I was going to like follow things in a logical order. We'll talk about Rose's introduction, how we feel about her, how she's portrayed her role in The Last uh, Jedi, and then kind of like segue into how she was received and kind of the backlash. But the further I got into it, the worse it became. And the more I became aware of how bad it was. And so I just feel like we kind of have to talk about the backlash or the controversy over Rose earlier in this episode, because I'm not going to be able to handle it going through uh, this episode without talking about that first, because it sucks. And I'm so astonished and so angry and 
So yeah. I'll start off by saying I was definitely more clued into kind of the comments about the sequel trilogy and what was going on with the fans more so than Loya was, but I still yeah. wasn't that clued in. Like I am much more involved in fandom and social media related to Star Wars now than I ever have been in the past. So I was aware of this, but I was definitely unaware of the full scope and the details and <laughs> seeing the details as part of the research for this episode is just truly disgusting. Reprehensible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so when I did the research for this, I was getting into it and like, I kept seeing like recurring phrases for like the toxic reaction. And I'm like, wait a minute, because I had this recollection to a conversation I had had with one of Doris Brooks's friends. Like this was, I don't know, a few months, six months after the last Jedi. And he made this like comment and they're like, Oh, and then he added the, they added the autistic Asian. And like, it was such a weird thing for him to say. Cause like, I, I just didn't understand it. I was like, Rose is an autistic. And that was how I responded. And like, when I did the research and found that this was, he was just pretty much regurgitating what he had read, these like toxic fans. And like, this was a recurring phrase used in relation to Rose. It just made me so angry that I didn't respond differently in that moment that like, he said this, it was my, and my reaction was like, that's an odd thing to say without getting like, without being, without calling him out on it. Like, I'm just, I'm so angry that this is like, enough of a vocal minority that it permeates like you you read about Rose Tico and it's just like you have to address the backlash you have to talk about it and I just want to yeah. like oh gosh yeah so I talked about this a little bit in the first episode but I was younger when the prequel trilogy came out and this was the first trilogy that was released when I was an adult and like wanted to be engaged online. And I really kind of made the decision not to do that for a long time because of things like this and because of the people that are so vocal in their toxicity. And I think you, I know you wanted to talk about this and we'll get into some of the more details about Rose in particular, but your question was like what to do about that yeah and honestly the only thing that I've been able to do is kind of curate my own experience and find people that don't feel that way I don't want to not ever hear other opinions or know what people that don't think similarly to me think about things but at the same time like you do kind of have to create like your own little pocket and stick to it because if you don't, then there are still those people out there. I mean, I feel like it goes like it is specifically racism and misogyny and I, yeah, I condemn it so strongly and like, and which is just like not enough to say, like I do more than condemn it. I like, I just, I get so angry. Like, so, Rose was introduced as a character portrayed by Kelly Marie Tran. One of the instances that happens 
is that she her page was vandalized on Wikipedia and racist epithets were put in there and false quotes attributed to her. And it was someone who the racist aspect of it was just like disgusting and awful. And but like that instance happened and then yet there's still like all this other stuff that's just like racism and misogyny have no place in this world and then to to like not only do that that's bad enough and then to then harass kelly marie tran on social media when she deliberately didn't go on social media because she was worried about it and then like she was so wholesome on social social media there was this article i found where it's just like you know i think it was a buzzfeed article where it's like we must protect her instagram at all costs because like it was amazing she was so supportive of her coworkers. everything was hilarious like she, she did this thing where she's like what you you know this isn't how you're supposed to do like a red carpet i think it was you know rocked it and it was just like the self-deprecating but hilarious awesome she's she's an amazing person and, and I remember too, she yeah. was so excited. Yes. To be in Star Wars. Like she was so excited about everything. She cried on one of the red carpets. And I was like, this is exactly what I would be like. Yeah. Like, she was so genuine and relatable and just seemed like such a fun person. Yes. Yes. Like, and you know, of the examples that were like picked, like the pictures that were picked for like her Instagram, I'm just like, wow, this is incredible. Like yeah, hilarious, funny. And so she was harassed. And then she took down her social media. And then people were like, there was no proof of the harassment. Like, they denied the fact that it happened, even though. Oh, yeah. People love gaslighting. People just love to gaslight and say, you're creating a problem where there is no problem. I don't see a problem. So I don't understand what you're talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. And in the article that I found, like, there was a very illuminating, like, screenshot of a picture. And it was so cute. Like, she said, is it creepy to hug display case containing your friends close, asking for someone who does not understand social protocol in this situation? And it just shows her, like, hugging this case. And that's Finn's clothes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's adorable. And the comments are just so mean, so awful like so personal they're attacking her as a person again i was not totally clued into this at the time which i i should have been but similar things happened with john boyega as well yeah so back in 2015 when the force awakens was coming out there was a group of so-called fans who tried to initiate a boycott of the movie and started a hashtag boycott star Wars seven really because they didn't want a black person to be a main character in star Wars. So I found this article from the daily beast. This was apparently after the trailer was released during Monday night football. I'll just read an excerpt from this article. Clearly these so-called fans aren't too well versed in their Jedi history. Their tweets raise many questions like, do the hashtag boycott Star Wars 7 realize their hatred violates Yoda's teachings? 
Have they forgotten Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu and Billy D. Williams as Lando Calrissian, or realized that Imperial Stormtroopers were cloned from the genetic material of Mandalorian bounty hunter Jango Fett, played by Tamara Morrison? <laughs> Do they know that Darth Vader was voiced by James Earl Jones, or that it was the good guys of the Rebellion who were accepting of other races and species? <sighs> not Perhaps not shockingly, a deep dive into the boycott Star Wars 7 hashtag yields a curious overlap of racist Star Wars invective and pro-Donald Trump tweets. To them, Star Wars has been destroyed because it's prioritizing social justice. I could not disagree more strongly. Representation is important. It's important for people to see people who look like them, who act like them, who provide a blueprint for what you can be. So... John Boyega, Kelly Marie Tran as leading characters, as leading roles in these Star Wars films are, I mean, Daisy Ridley. <laughs> it's it's so important to have, like, for me personally, a woman wielding a lightsaber. Like, that's not something we've seen. Yeah, like, like that was a big deal for me yeah. as someone who is a woman and grew up watching Star Wars. And yes, there was Leia, and I will never discount Leia. She's no. amazing. But it's still different to see in a mainline Star Wars film a woman use a lightsaber and be a Jedi. Yep. And given the paucity of representation in other aspects, that makes other, like makes Kelly Marie Tran's casting even that much more important, and especially for Star Wars. Not to mention that it's just reflective of the real world. Yeah. And I feel like there's, like, this misunderstanding of, like, your voices have been privileged, your voices have been prioritized, and, like, shifting the dialogue to include other voices doesn't mean we're stripping you of being heard. It doesn't mean that you're losing your right to talk. It just means that other people are also getting to talk. And I feel like the equation of taking away privilege with being persecuted is a pervasive one, and it's just so fundamentally wrong. And honestly, while it's in this microcosm of Star Wars, this is all about privilege. Yeah. It's people that grew up watching Star Wars before Disney purchased it and felt like, you know, they're the true Star Wars fans and everything that is produced should cater to them. And when they don't get what they want, they lash out in completely unacceptable ways. Yeah. It's really disgusting that it continues as well to this day. Yeah, I was very very acutely aware of, as I was reading the articles about all of this happening to Kelly Marie Tran, that this happened after the release of Last Jedi, which came out in 2017. Like, it just, the rhetoric that was being used was so petty. This even came into play in the screenshot that you were just discussing. Yeah. Is that they will then swear up and down that it's not it's not because Kelly Marie Tran is Asian. It's not because John Boyega is a black man. It's because 
they're not a good actor or their character isn't good. Or in the case of Ray, it's because Ray's character is terrible and people shouldn't look to her as a good female character. And it's like, it could not be more obvious (laughs) that it is because they are people of color and it is because she's a woman. That's why it's unacceptable for them to be part of Star Wars. But Again, the gaslighting. Yeah. Yeah. That the vandalism on Wikipedia proved I mean proved it was not <laughs> not because they disagreed with the character or because they thought the character wasn't great. And not to mention like there are plenty of times that we I mean we we have been critical of Star Wars. I have been critical of George Lucas. I have been critical of Anakin. I haven't gotten much into hating Christensen because my issue is Anakin. I'm not going to sit there and criticize hating Christensen's acting, which I could do. That's fine. Like, I don't, maybe I disagree with him as a, as being a good actor in those particular films, but I'm not going to sit there and tell him that he's the worst, that. Go on social media. Yeah, and exactly. That right to hating Christensen, like yeah. give him a mention on Twitter and be like, Hayden Christensen, you are the worst person ever to be involved in a film. Yeah. I hope you die because you've ruined Star Wars. Like, yep. that that's like the equivalent. Yeah. Or Hayden Christensen, shut up. No one likes you. Go die in a hole. Like, I would never say that to you, Hayden Christensen. Never. Like, it doesn't matter what I really think of your acting because that's not really the issue. It's the it's the rhetoric. It's the tone of the thing. Like, it is, you can disagree and not like a character and not go on personal attacks against the actor or actor. So I, I do have to read Kelly's rebuttal to this because she departed from social media in response to all this, which I completely understand. And then she wrote an op-ed in the New York Times. And so she, I'll read part of what she said. It wasn't their words, it's that I started to believe them. Their words seemed to confirm what growing up as a woman and as a person of color had already taught me, that I belonged in the margins and spaces, valid only as a minor character in their lives and stories. And I'm getting choked up because, like, this should not be anyone's experience. And ever, ever. So she mentions that she stopped speaking Vietnamese at nine. She was out to eat with a boyfriend's family when she was 17, and the waiter made a comment, oh, nice, you have an exchange student. And then she writes, and as much as I hate to admit it, I started blaming myself. I thought, oh, maybe if I was thinner, or maybe if I grew out my hair, and worst of all, maybe if I wasn't Asian. For months, I went down a spiral of self-hate into the darkest recesses of my mind, places where I tore myself apart, where I put their words above my own self-worth. And it was then that I realized I had been lied to. I want to live in a world where children of color don't spend their entire adolescence wishing to be white. I want to live in a world where women are not subjected to scrutiny for their appearance or their actions or their general existence. I want to live in a world where people of all races, religions, socioeconomic classes, sexual orientations, gender identities, and abilities are seen as what they have always been, human beings. This is the world I want to live in, and this is the world I will continue to work toward. Which really just speaks to how amazing Marie Tran is, that after all this, she still has hope. Which, yeah, is somewhat lacking these days. Well, to end this on a positive note, 
Kelly Marie Tran has just been been cast in Raya, I believe it is, Raya and the Dragon, which is an upcoming Disney animated film that looks amazing. And she is also going to be in a Hulu series called Monsterland. So Good I for her. am, you know, no one should have to deal with what she went through. No one ever. And, you know, I am just glad that she somehow has kept going. And I'm really happy for her future success. And I'm happy yeah. that she didn't allow this to stop her or yep. to silence her. And I'm personally going to do like anything in my power to help her with that success. Like you want me to buy Ray and the dragon? I will buy it. Like I, I'm inspired to leave rave reviews because I just feel like that minority of toxic fans are so vocal. They're so loud. They're so loud. And, you know, I guess being in the star Wars galaxy, like things can seem cliche and, pat sometimes but i do think of this and it's a quote from rise of skywalker which has its issues but you know there's that scene where poe has lost all hope he thinks no one's coming to help them when they're fighting above exegol and he's just like maybe it's over and it's something that zori says first i think that she tells poe there are more of us and then Lando repeats it in that moment. And it's true. There are more of us. And I don't think we can lose sight of that fact. And I think one great example of it is <laughs> just this past week as we're recording this episode. Unfortunately, Gina Carano was making some extremely problematic statements on her Twitter about mass, about police violence, about eventually people using pronouns and putting pronouns in their bios and making transphobic statements. And there was a Star Wars fan who decided to start a fundraiser for the Transgender Law Center. And her name is Maggie. Her Twitter handle is Maggie of the Town. And she was joined by the Geeky Waffle Network and a few other people. And they started off with a goal of $1,500, I think, in response to this, to, you know, make something good out of it. And as of yesterday, they crossed $10,000. That's what I need to hear. Like researching this it really yeah it made me it made, it made me lose hope a little but i'm glad that yeah we're the majority there are more of us like just to make our positions very clear in this particular instance there is no need to be polite and there's no there are no two sides to this no the comments that kelly marie tran faced were malicious and unacceptable like, unacceptable like you don't talk to someone that way you don't talk to a fellow human that way and the fact that there are these echo chambers of fans who are doing just that like, it makes me they, like, ashamed yeah, yeah. to be a star wars fan yeah. i i also feel like i don't even i don't I, there are a lot of things i don't understand currently but 
one of the things is I don't understand how you can purport to be a Star Wars fan and purport to understand it better than anyone else, but you don't get it. Like, you don't, you don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. When you look in the mirror, you are the empire. Like, if you're treating someone like that, you're the dark side, buddy. And everyone out there saying they don't want Star Wars to be made political, I just have to laugh. Let's talk Rose. So, Rose is introduced. Her first scene is her crying while she's guarding the escape pods. And the person who first encounters her is Finn. And what did you initially think of this, Europa? Like, what did you think of Rose? I don't know. I mean, I think, honestly, I was probably sort of ambivalent towards her. Mm-hmm. I will say the plot point about her and her sister got me. It's the first scene is her sister Paige sacrificing herself Mm -hmm. and as anyone who has listened to this podcast knows I have a sister and we're very close and I just kind of put myself in her shoes of how that would feel and she's crying because she's thinking about the fact that her sister is gone Mm -hmm. and she's like looking at her necklace I guess <laughs> some of my first thoughts about her as the movie progressed was just that like she was being really strong and it was really important to her to continue to fight for what her sister was fighting for. And that was admirable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was also fairly ambivalent. I'm sad to say I kind of missed the purpose or what Ryan Johnson was trying to achieve with the subplot. So, like, my first viewing of The Last Jedi with her and Finn going off to... Canto Bite. I It just seemed kind of... It was odd pacing to me, and it seemed random. I agree. That was my initial yeah. assessment of it as well. I did not really enjoy that segment on Canto Bite the first... Probably the first couple of times I saw yeah. it. Like, it just took me out of everything else that was going on. And it seemed like just this long interlude. Mm -hmm. It also didn't, like, the fact it was instigated a bit by Poe in this situation and Poe's struggle to accept Admiral Admiral Holdo's decisions also didn't serve this subplot very well. And, like, that is something I still struggle with. Like, even with the principle that, like, this movie is about failure, which does, like, it makes me enjoy this subplot so much more, but yeah. this particular failure, like, the rebellion against Admiral Holdo is just, it's still something that I kind of struggle with in this movie. And that's a good point, because they ultimately are not successful. Mm-hmm. Like, Finn and Rose go through all of this to try and figure out a way to disable the lightspeed tracker, and they ultimately are not able to do it. And I feel like my first, I mean, honestly, probably until this last rewatching, I hadn't realized how cynical I was being that, like, you know, they freed. Sothiers? Yes. 
Badiers. They free them, and I mean, they're on a planet. I, they're, I don't know about the habitat, but it seemed pretty likely that they were going to be caught again. And I was just like, what was the point? Which, <laughs> watching it, rewatching it this time, I'm like, wow, that is such a messed up way to view that. That, like, even though you have a moment of freedom and maybe you'll be recaptured, maybe you won't, but like, you can't say that's not worth anything, right? Like, the fact that they made a point, the fact that it did some destruction, and like, the first many times I watched this, I was like, well, it's not like these people don't have money to fix it up, or those farthiers will be recaught, and like, those kids are still, you know, indentured or slaves. Maybe, so, yeah, like, it's just, again, I, I don't know. I just didn't process all of this, I yeah. guess, initially. But one of the things that I really love about their time on Cantobite now is that, you know, they meet that little boy who's taking care of the fathers, who's basically, like you said, an indentured servant. Like, that's his life. And Rose shows him the ring with the resistance symbol on it that she has. That gives him hope. She's a source of hope for him. And we see mm-hmm. him at the very end of the movie use the force, which I know people laughed at, made fun of. People I thought it that. was stupid. I loved it too. Like, that was an amazing moment. And I really love that it was Rose that inspired that in him. Yep. Yeah. It was like, so the initial time I kind of, I mean, the multiple initial times, I kind of just missed this. Then I was like, okay, this makes sense, right? The premise of failure. Then watching it this time, yeah, Rose brings hope. Like, she doesn't stop fighting. And that's, yeah, my attitude initially was so fatalistic, right? Like, you can't change anything. And I don't know if it's like today's times or something else that happens, maybe researching more about Rose, but like, no, we're going to fight. Like, And it's interesting, too, because I know one of the things you wanted to discuss was going back to her meeting with Finn, how yeah. she was, like, starstruck, and she just was, like, unable to be calm meeting Finn because she thought he was this resistance hero. And mm-hmm. I think one of the statements that The Last Jedi is making, too, is that, like, hero worship is is not what you should be doing like yes you can find inspiration in other people but heroes are not perfect and you shouldn't treat them that way and you need to understand that there are people too and that everyone makes mistakes and has failures but it's interesting that she sees finn in this way and thinks that he's this huge inspiration and then she is a person that ends up being so inspirational to others yeah I feel like her meeting with Finn was totally something that would have happened to me. Like, (laughs) everything that came out of her mouth, I'm like, oh, this is me (laughs) as well. And then, yeah, Yeah. she ends up inspiring him because she's just so committed and so clear-sighted and smart and, yeah, you know, Finn's initially awestruck on Cantobay and she's just like, look closer, which I loved. Yeah, and I'm I mean, sad I didn't honestly, love that sooner. She's she's very refreshing. Yeah. And 
Yeah, I mean, they have that whole conversation about what's actually going on and how all these people on Canto Bite are making their money, which is selling arms and perpetuating a war. And she tells Finn about her own background, that she grew up on a mining colony and the First Order came and stripped it and then basically tested their weapons on her community. Yep. And she and her sister decided to fight back. Yeah. The fact that this is a Star Wars film, again, commentating on, like, wealth inequality and exploitation, I would, I, I like, loved it. Make no mistake, we love The Last Jedi so much and are unapologetic about that. And Ryan Johnson is amazing. And mm-hmm. I love that he included this. And like I said, it's not like it's a crazy thing. It's not insane to be bringing things like this into star wars like star wars is political it's moral and it's just the truth yeah and you can't say there's not (laughs) i mean ray is living as a junker a scavenger where like she's she's working her butt off for food and that is not the situation for the majority of people i mean maybe not the majority i wouldn't even say like that's not the situation for a, sm- a minority of people in Star Wars. Like, you look at Snoke's palace, he's not worried about food, or that that being said, it's weird thinking about Snoke eating. Um, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm assuming he's must. I guess. Who knows? Yeah. Huh. So yeah, like their wealth is not shared equally in Star Wars. But it's and weird because I feel like people also like forget that somehow that yeah. Ray, like and she literally like has to spend her whole day scavenging for, yeah. in order to eat and survive. Like it's not it's not like a job. Like this is what she has to do to survive. And yeah. yet people also like to make arguments about how she's too powerful and she knows how to do too many things. It's like she's been on her own on Jakku since she was a small child. Yeah. Like literally just fighting to survive. But it's yeah. weird. Like that doesn't that doesn't like factor into people's assessments. Well, and even going back to the original trilogy right like it luke's aunt and uncle were okay but they're farmers like from what they were saying they were not that like they were living harvest to harvest like you know right like they didn't even have people working on their farm like they were like we can't leave because we don't have anyone else to help us like that's a precarious existence and that's mentioned, like, the threat of sand people. Like, they came and stole Shmi from them. Like, you know, there are a lot of things that are dangerous and things that other people elsewhere in the Star Wars universe don't face. And, like, getting into Rise of Skywalker, right? Like, Poe's origin of the story was that he was a spice smuggler, trader, dealer. Like, there are definitely opportunities for exploitation and the fact that ryan johnson just pointed those out it was a point well made definitely also there was a deleted scene where uh rose bites hooks yes i was gonna bring that up so i for some reason thought that that happened in the finished movie 
Yeah. And I don't know why I was so convinced because I tried to find the clip and I was like, where is it? And then I looked it up and it's a deleted scene, apparently. I but like I was looking for that, too. Yeah. So I don't know. Apparently, I'm, I mean, I know I watched the director's commentary at one point. So maybe that is where I saw it. And it must have just like ingrained itself in my brain. But I loved that. Yeah. I I would I would be there for that. Like it's weird. Cause, like I can imagine it so perfectly, and I'm just like I don't think I saw that unless maybe it was in the trailer, but I don't think I don't it think was. So. The trailer was pretty sparse for that. I yeah. And then I also just to this is getting off the topic of Rose a little bit, but I do appreciate Benicio del Toro. I liked his character a lot in this, and I feel like the commentary he had where he's just like, let's, I mean, going back to the the point you were making about hero worship, right? Like, Finn's like, well, at least they're fighting, you know, at least they're the good guys. And he's like, let's see who they sold weapons to. Like, that seems good. It's just fantastic. Yes, I agree. I really like that whole exchange where he's just like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, they're selling to both sides, and my advice is don't choose a side and just survive. Yeah, don't play the game. And then also, he's just like, it's just business. Well, you're wrong. And he's like, maybe. I love that. Love that. I do love that. I don't love his character, I have to admit. I I like Benicio Del Toro. His character just irritates me, and I just can't get past it. (laughs) I feel like... He's kind of a deus ex machina in that situation. Like they're looking for, for a master code breaker, and there just happens to be a master code breaker in that their cell. That's a little bit convenient. Although Rose being like, we don't need to tell him anything was amazing as well. She's yeah. like, mm-hmm. I also just always think about that part where he says like he can <laughs> sneak them into Snoke's boudoir. Oh my god! <laughs> right? I hear I'm just like, oh god, my head. why? it's like thinking of him eating and any sort of bodily function in regards to snow should be like banished yeah and let's see here we should talk about rose's skill sets so i guess to give it like an overall summary initially i didn't get the point (laughs) then i got the point and i enjoyed the subplot with rose more and then this time watching it, I was just like, wow, I I love her. Her skill sets are so cool. Like it's the way she just tases Finn, like, boom, she just like, you can, and Kelly Marie Tran is so good. Like you can see the change in emotions and she's like figuring things out. And you like, it goes from being like complete starstruck to being like, what the, and then boom, she tases him. Yeah. It's fantastic. I, I love that she chases him because I can't blame her. Like she has just lost her sister and Met her idol who's and running. Like now she's seeing him running away. And again, like this is all that her sister fought for, and they're trying to keep going. Yeah. And I would have reacted the same way. Oh my gosh, yeah. I, I can relate so strongly to Rose. And, like, that is another thing that, like, speaking of representation, like, you, you I mean, you get kind of, like, this, like, awkward, cute thing mm-hmm. a lot. But, like, oftentimes it's just awkward. And, like, the, you know, cutting in a certain way or, like, making 
the character, like, for some reason in my head is just a new girl, which I've not seen. <laughs> I was going to say Zoe Deschanel. <laughs> yes! In my head, it's her! And, like, nothing against her, because I, I haven't seen the show, but, like, that's not how I experience the world. And sometimes you're just sitting there, and you just say, like, random things, and, like, you know, forget to breathe. And there's Rose, who's doing that, like, in a Star Wars film. And it's awesome. Well, and, I mean, we t- obviously we love Leia. We talked about her at length, but she's so competent. Like she's she's a goal, but I'm I'm a role. <laughs> like, and, and I think that was also maybe some of the intention, not to speak for Ryan yeah. Johnson, but I think she was maybe intended to be like the audience stand-in who if they did meet Finn or someone that they thought oh was this hero would respond that way and would be awkward and then that makes the fact that she goes through this journey and becomes an inspiration herself even better. Like it's her figuring out who she is in relation to all of this and becoming better for it. Yeah. I was just imagining like meeting John Boyega in real life and I like cannot handle it. Like I'm ready to just like try to hide my face and like run away. (laughs) Okay, this is why you don't meet your heroes, or like maybe don't hero worship people. Easier said than done. But like, yeah, I I have this thing where I can't I can't deal with this. But yeah, like she's very relatable. Yes, the thing I kept seeing over and over and in so many articles about her was like everyday man, like yeah. the everyday person, the everyday like woman. But I don't then know the that everyday person can do things that aren't every day. And that's something that we've talked about in previous episodes as being something that I at least feel like is the theme of Star Wars. Yes. Is that people can become more than what they thought they could be. And when they have that hope and keep fighting, then they can make a difference. Yes. And I feel like that is like one of the best messages from The Last Jedi you can you can be a rose and like that's amazing and you can do amazing things. I would love to be Leia. <laughs> Me too. I would love to be Ray. Honestly, and I mean I love being Rose. So we should talk about I guess her last bit of The Last Jedi. Yes. Yes. Because this is something I still like even even with my more nuanced understanding of like the theme of failure and everything this is something that i still have a problem with because like i don't mind that she's like saves finn but i feel like her the way she saved him is risky (laughs) like you know she basically finn's about to like go into the canon and save them all by sacrificing himself or like he thinks he's gonna save them all and i don't know how she like gets ahead of him for starters question there and then also she like runs into him and i feel like that's like she could have killed him and herself in that moment yeah i'll admit when i saw the last jedi for the first time i was convinced that finn was dying i was convinced that he was sacrificing himself and i feel like i had already accepted it and then when he didn't die, I was just like, what? Yeah. So this this entire scene, like, I, I love Rose. But, like, this entire segment really encapsulates my struggle with Finn in The Last Jedi. 
because I feel like I'm not enamored that this was the role that Finn was picked to go on. Yeah, and John Boyega has expressed similar sentiments. Yeah, it's just hard for me. Like, it was a weird transition to go from, like, his role in A Force Awakens to, like, him... The the Rise of Skywalker also really just doesn't do Finn justice. Like, I feel like Finn is the character that, like, possibly suffered the most... And with the changes in direction. Um, Other than Rose. Yeah. Oh my gosh, right? Sorry. Obviously Rose. Poe as a character should have suffered more, but did not. Yeah. The lack of addressing like Poe's decisions in The Last Jedi in The Rise of Skywalker is another reason I struggle with The Rise of Skywalker. Because like he, he screwed up bad. Yeah. And there's no repercussions for him. Like, he, he hasn't come to terms with it. He hasn't, like, thought about it. Like, there's no addressing of that in The Rise of Skywalker. Like, if you had just listened to Admiral Holdo, those people would still be alive. I don't feel like Finn as a... Not Finn. Sorry. Poe as a character, like, would just be that oblivious. But he's written to be that oblivious. Yeah, he is. And I guess maybe we're supposed to interpret that one scene where he's talking to Lando and he's like, how did you all do it? I don't understand. We were up against so much. And Lando was just like, well, we had each other, but Poe was like, Oh, I can't do it. Like I can't, I can't live up to Leia. And I, <laughs> of course I'm sitting there like, no, you can't. Yeah. Like, I guess that was supposed to be his moment of doubt, but wasn't enough in my opinion. Yeah, no, it was definitely not enough. I wanted so much more. And, like, it was not provided. So she hits him with the... His vehicle. Yeah. The rail thing. And thankfully they both live, which is great, because I love them both. Finn rushes over to her vehicle. She says, I saved you, dummy, which is also not a great line. Not a fan no. of that line. Yeah. Really, that, actually, that I bothers really, me. I don't like the use of dummy. <laughs> me either. It's just like I hear that line. I'm like, Egh. so I'm not a fan of that line. And then she says, we're going to win this war, not by fighting what we hate, but saving what we love. I'm curious to hear your thoughts first. So basically, I'm at this point where I see a problem and I just want to fight. Like, that's my knee jerk reaction is just like I hear something and I'm just like, fight, 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 fight. Like, it's hard. It's I'm. I need to meditate more, I think, is my takeaway, because it's I'm not in that role of accepting, like, you know, that the the quote where it's just like, give me I never get it right. Give me the wisdom. It's a serenity prayer. Okay, so it goes. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. I have no wisdom right now. (laughs) None. Everything is courage to change the things I can, which include things I can't. So right now, that line is just like impossible for me to accept because I just, how do you save what you love without fighting for it? So I don't think it implies that you're not fighting. I actually, like, I actually like that line. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I think it's true. Like, Yes, you have to fight. Obviously, you have to fight when there's injustice and oppression. 
you have to fight against it. But at the same time, hate is not what should drive you. Yeah. What should drive you is hope and the desire to make things better and the desire to save the things that are worth saving. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like, like that's what you're fighting for. Yeah. Versus what you're fighting against. That makes sense. I like this line better now. It's crazy. Like I've seen the last Jedi. I don't even know how many times at this point. And the fact is there's still so much like each viewing. I learn a little bit more. So like this time I was definitely more appreciative of this subplot with Rose and like with Rose in general and just like so impressed and yeah talking about this now I'm I like this line a lot better so don't like the dummy line no I, I'm, yeah. I'm willing to change my mind but that that not so much <laughs> yeah but, I'll just just yeah. cut that part off it's <laughs> good yeah exactly I don't know if I like it in the context because she's implying that she saved Finn because she loves him and they've known each other for like two days and you know that that's a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, she kisses him. I don't know what to make of that, really. I feel like I'm not a fan. I don't think I'm a fan or not a fan. Like, it's okay. I just, like, wasn't getting clear vibes from Finn as to whether he liked her in that way. Or I, I wasn't even necessarily getting vibes from her that she liked no. him in that way. So I it was just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. That's that's why I don't care for it that much because it just seems like unnecessary. And then apparently so I would have assumed, I guess, based on that, that maybe they would get together, although I had no real feelings about it. But there was a novel that came out called Resistance Reborn in between The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. And apparently Finn and Rose have a conversation and decide that they're just going to be friends. At least they address it versus like, I thought I honestly... At least they address it, but like, again, why? Like, we're going to get into Rise of Skywalker, but I feel like this is in line with the general way that Rose was treated. So I'm accepting of the fact they decide to be friends because they have a conversation about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> big fan of people conversing like adults, really. Even as I say, I have no, t- <laughs> I have no time for things. <laughs> like, all I want to do is fight. It is important to have adult conversations. I don't, I really just don't know what was supposed to be accomplished with the kiss. And maybe that's, like, tying into the failure thing again. Like, this is not a romance that goes anywhere. Which, I mean, many romances do not go anywhere. So maybe that's the point that was being made. But at the same time, they, in doing that, gave Finn a love interest. And then they were just like, oh, no, never mind. And then they, like, gave him a new love interest. So... Yeah, I feel like that is a perfect way to segue into The Rise of Skywalker because when researching about Rose, a lot of the things that were discussed about how she was treated with Rise of Skywalker tied it into a more pervasive underlying issue. And there was something, I forget which one, which article I found, where it was just like, oh, here we go. I bolded it. Let me click on this. 
it was a Time article, which is why it's problematic that Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker retcons the plot of The Last Jedi. And so basically, it just goes through The Rise of Skywalker and points out the majority of instances where J.J. Abrams decided to change what Ryan Johnson was trying to achieve. And you and I have had many conversations about this, but there were things in this where I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, (laughs) it's, it's, there's so much there. Like the lightsabers. I mean, we've talked about the mask and everything with Kylo Ren. We've talked about some of the other things discussed in this article, but like it is, you know, <laughs> here, I'll, re- I'll just read this paragraph really quick because it's emblematic. So the, re- the characters in the Rise of Skywalker quite literally cling to these tokens from the past. Kylo destroyed his Vader-like helmets, a symbol of his childlike obsession with his grandfather in The Last Jedi, but pieces it back together and resurrects a shrine to his grandfather in The Rise of Skywalker. Abrams bring back, brings back Lando Calrissian so he can fly the Millennium Falcon in the galaxy-defining battle at the end of the film, just as he did in The Return of the Jedi. Ray's, Ray flies Luke's old X-Wing. When trying to commune with her son Kylo, Leia holds a medal she gave to Han and Luke at the end of The New Hope. So much for letting the past die. And yeah, so Rose is treated absolutely terribly in this, and it is kind of a part of this overall restructuring with A Rise of Skywalker and the way it treats The Last Jedi. Long story short. So... I think we should probably start by talking about how (laughs) Rose related to Leia in this movie. Obviously, Carrie Fisher passed away prior to this movie being filmed, and they vowed not to CGI her. They said, it's great, we have existing footage of her that we can use. They used it. It was... Not always super successful, but I really honestly don't know what else I could have done. However, that seemed to become an excuse. Wait, wait, wait. We should go back even further because J.J. Abrams said he, quote, adores or like someone in relation to said to J.J. Abrams said that they adore Kelly Marie Tran. And then she had less. She had 76 seconds of screen time in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I was shocked by it when I went to see Rise of Skywalker. And I remember in the first few days after seeing the movie, listening to NPR and hearing a group of critics discuss it. And there was a woman who was part of the discussion who was Asian American. And she talked about how thrilled she was to see Kelly Marie Tran in The Last Jedi and how much affinity she had felt for Rose and how exciting it was. And then how completely just demoralizing and awful it was to watch Rise of Skywalker and see how much her role had been reduced. And that was in addition to the way that Kelly Marie Tran had been treated after The Last Jedi. And she said something like, I will never get over this. No, I agree. So I watched... Rise of Skywalker prior to recording this episode and I 
just became more infuriated all over again. This and Kylo's death, which we will talk about in further detail later, were like the biggest sticking points to me in my initial viewing of Rise of Skywalker. And I don't think people should get over the way that Kelly Marie Tran and Rose Tito were treated. It is unacceptable. It was absolutely absurd as well. Because she was established as a character. And like and you're right. J.J. Abrams literally said things like, I'm so thankful to Ryan Johnson for casting Kelly Marie Tran. Yeah. And I'm so happy to have Rose as a character. And then she had 70 whatever seconds of screen time. Yeah. And a good portion of that was her having a conversation on the base being like, no, 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 I have to stay in the base. Leia asked me to stay here to do and research. study Star Destroyers to, like, see if these new Star Destroyers are similar. Yeah. Well, and so many of her scenes are in, with other minor characters. So you have Greg Grunberg and Dominic Monaghan and... This movie made me hate Dominic Monaghan. Like, I have nothing against Dominic no. Monaghan on a personal level. Like, I'm sure he's a lovely person. I don't have anything against him as an actor. But every time he's on screen, absolutely infuriates me. Because Rose was given a minute of screen time. He was given far more than that. And literally, his only purpose is to just, like, spout exposition and it could have been times that yeah. Rose is speaking and doing something of consequence. Yes. But no. And the reason that he's in the movie is because he won a bet with J.J. Abrams. Oh, my gosh. No. That makes it even worse. Because, yeah, going back to what you were saying before, the screenwriters have defense about why Rose isn't in the movie. And right. one of the things that they were talking about was the fact they tied her into Leia's scenes. Yes. And supposedly, I believe, according to Chris Terrio, who is the other screenwriter, they planned scenes between Rose and Leia on the base and they didn't work technologically and they had to cut them out. Which doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. Like, even even the scene she's in, as we've discussed, like, there are other characters who have more speaking lines than her. There are more characters that are focused. Like, they could have easily... And given given the fact that there was so much going on with this film, like, the fact that Daisy Ridley didn't know who her parents were. <laughs> like, it, it was obvious that they were making, like, changes as they were filming. And they couldn't find time to, like, make some scenes for Rose. Right. Like there's nothing else she could have done. Yeah, she she has technical lot te- technical knowledge that no one else has, and this is what we're given. Not to mention the fact that they put so many new characters in this movie, entirely new characters. Yes, like Zori and Jana, and I have nothing against them. Like they were cool. I would be interested to see more of them, but they had no place in this movie. That was the final movie of a trilogy and the final movie of the Skywalker saga because it was so jam packed and so fast paced and so overwhelming All I wanted was for them to spend time with the characters that had already been established and to find out what they were doing and how they were dealing with everything and to see those relationships. And there was none of that. Yeah. 
And it makes it even more egregious because of the backlash against Rose. Right. Like, and like, you how have, can you not? Yeah. How can you not make that connection? And I still like. Honestly, I don't. I don't believe that. No. There, that played no part in it. Like, I don't believe that. There was no. a backlash after the Last Jedi, and it is obvious that they decided that they needed to change things based on that. Yeah, and that's what that Time article is going through as well. It's just like they make the point that like it's almost whether it was intentional or not jj abrams saw all the critiques against the last jedi and then fixed them ray was given a more like prestigious background to explain her powers rose was relegated to the sidelines the x-wing flew lando came back like it's it's whether it was, in, again, whether it was intentional or not, it was pandering to the fandom menace. And it just, it didn't, for me, it didn't work as a film. I was so excited for what Ryan Johnson had brought us with The Last Jedi. And I just cannot get over the fact that this was, this was what they did with Rose. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't, I don't think people should get over it. No, and Rose not Chico to mention the fact too. Yes, Rose Tico absolutely deserved better. And we haven't even mentioned the fact that Kelly Marie Tran did interviews. Yeah, where she was talking about scenes oh she had filmed God. and how she got to be together with the other main characters and how cool it was. And she had scenes that she filmed with Ray. There are stills that came out of them in conversation, and. I found this quote where she said, I think it's really cool at all that they are even in scenes together because in Jedi, we weren't any scenes together. Tran said it was really cool to have feminine energy on set. I wish I could tell you more, but I'm really excited for people to see Rose and Ray interact. I think that that interview came out like the day before the cast was shown the final like draft, I guess. And there's been a lot of discussion too about how Kelly Marie Tran was f- doing all of this press, not knowing that yeah. and having been reduced to a minute of screen time. Yeah. It's heartbreaking because she's so excited. She's so thrilled about it. And like, I would love to have seen that. Like the, it is, <laughs> it is still like that test where, if two female characters are talking about not, like something the that's not, test. yes, that's not a male character. So many move, so many, so much media still fails that yeah. test. And this would have been an opportunity for this film to include something because I'm assuming unless they're talking about Finn, which I really hope they weren't, like it would have been an option. Right. Like it would have been fantastic. You know yeah. what movie passes that test? What? The Last Jedi. Ah, right. <laughs> oh my gosh I should have gotten that one (laughs) what what movie does Knives Out that is actually probably true as well Um, Uh, yeah I mean so I I found this article from Sci-Fi Wire Mm -hmm. the rise of Skywalker's dismissal of Rose Tico is indicative of the franchise's problems And I just wanted to share this quote because it encapsulates a lot of my thoughts. 
Her family name wasn't known to us. She wasn't destined for greatness, and no prophecies foretold her future. What she stood for was the majority of people who inhabit the world of this franchise, the nameless fighters and grafters, and the oft-overlooked collateral damage of this all-consuming war. Most people don't fight because they're special or because the stars predicted it. They fight because they are nobodies and because if they don't, nobody else will. Rebellions are built on hope, but they're also built on the backs of fighters and workers whose audiences are encouraged, who audiences are encouraged to barely think of, even as the body count piles up. The franchise needs more of these nobodies, as Rey should have been, because they are the hope and future of the galaxy long after the Jedi and Sith have become extinct. Frankly, it's characters like Rose that the franchise should be built around, not the endless and inherently limiting family drama of the extended Skywalker clan. I feel like it puts that perfectly. We can just end the episode here. <laughs> it's just like, that's a mic drop and we just walk off. We should we should end with another quote. Rose Tico represents hope. This isn't to say that there isn't hope in all of the characters in the sequel trilogy, as there certainly is. Rose's journey, however, is specifically about hope. She's a character who has lost everything, yet she continues to fight. She pushes on for a better tomorrow, hopeful that there will someday be a world in which the oppressors are well and truly defeated, allowing people to be free. In a way, she's very much like a young Princess Leia, who despite the destruction of everything she knew and loved, never quit. She continued to fight not because she was seeking herself or her purpose or looking to be a leader. She continued out of the hope that the future could be better. Wow, I feel like I really like needed those quotes right now and am tearing up and yeah, she probably end there. Well, that is it for today's show. Our intro and outro music is by Lobo Loco and our segment break music is by Poddington Bear. You can find us, as always, at StarWarsSleepover.com, where you can find links to everything we've referenced in this episode, as well as on Twitter at SWSleepover and on Instagram at StarWarsSleepover. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider subscribing and rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really helps us out because we are a new podcast and it does help other people find us. We also would love feedback from our listeners. We will be back next week to discuss Ben Solo because apparently we just want to continue to torture ourselves. So thanks for listening. (laughs) And may the force be with you. Thank you.